Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity, in the name of our triune God, a Father who made us a Savior who shed his blood to redeem us, and a Spirit who loves you and me enough to bring us into God's family and wrestle with us every day to steer and guide us into more God-pleasing lives. My dear friends, the very best birthday card I ever got was from my son, John. He probably forgot sending this, but I will never forget it. It's my favorite. There's a picture of a naughty little boy standing in a corner. Perhaps he was thinking of himself. And this naughty little boy standing in a corner has his head kind of turned a little bit. Clearly, he's just had a, uh, uh, his father opened up a can on him because there's pain waves radiating out from his backside but there's a small little smile on his face as it's kind of turned to the side. And you open up the card and it says, totally worth it. <laughs> I'm still, still makes me laugh. Totally worth it. Whatever he had done, uh, the spanking he got apparently uh, did not take away his pleasure at it. It was worth what he had to undergo for whatever naughty thing he had done. Well, you know, I thought of that crazy little card as I was taking a look at part two of our little two-part series on the Holy Spirit for today's Bible study. And while I'm giving you kind of a little bit of the background to it, why don't you grab your Bible and open it up to Romans chapter 8 for the continuation of last week's celebration of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that the glory that is coming makes all of the agony we have to go through, all the frustration and suffering that we have to go through now, totally worth it. It's an amazing chunk of scripture. I'd like to savor three paragraphs with you. And it's, it's such deep stuff, I'm going to probably risk annoying you because we'll just go flying through here, but we'll unpack some of the stuff out of this trunk and then you can go back later, maybe later today or tomorrow at the latest, and read through it more slowly and you can unpack it for yourself and savor it. But this is a treasure chest of encompassing almost all of our relationship with our God. It involves clarifying our identity, our mission of being on this earth, the resources that we have, and our destination. That's amazing, isn't it, that you can get all that done in just three paragraphs. Last week, I talked to you about how urgently important it is that the Spirit implant new software in our brains. And the problem is that we are born into this world ignorant of God and have to learn. We're born unbelievers and heathen. Worse than that, Romans says that the sinful mind is hostile to God. We're not only born ignorant of God, we're born already knowing whatever it is he is, we don't want it. We're born still caught up in reenacting Eve's rebellion against God's authority. We are not all that interested in finding out God's expectations and having found them out are not so very sure that we care to bestir ourselves to have to do what he wants instead of something much more exciting, what we want. We need a reboot of our brains and new software, and that's what the Spirit gives us. Gotta have them. Gotta have it. Today, I'd like to talk to you 
about what the Spirit does for you and me while we're waiting to be swept up off this earth. Now, that section from last week at the end of verse 17 ends with a real kind of thrilling sound. It like sweeps us right off like we're going to be in heaven any minute now. Um, By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. What's not to like about that? The Spirit guarantees that you have a new relationship. Instead of God's enemy, you're his kid. He thinks you're cute and adorable, loves you, forgives you, pours his favor on you through your faith in Christ. And not only are we God's children, we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. We get to not only be working in a factory somewhere, shoveling coal into a blast furnace, cleaning out the latrines in the lowest pit of the lowest dormitory in heaven. We get to sit in the throne room. We get to invite it to eat at the big table. It's so cool. Uh, If indeed we share in his sufferings, ooh, what a downer. Don't forget the sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So we've got to go through life on this broken earth. And this is a painful reality that St. Paul is going to explain to us right now. Broken people live in a broken planet. And although Christ's work of redeeming the world is perfect and complete, and although our faith though sometimes trembly and small, is perfect because it's connected to a perfect Savior. We are still living in a world that has been damaged and broken. And that brings all kinds of hardships because it grinds us down. It wears us out. And Satan is not willing to let go of us and wants to persuade us to commit suicide and jump out of Jesus' arms. He can't tear us out of Jesus' arms, but he can trick us and lie us and bribe us and sucker us into thinking that life is better on our own, away from Jesus. But St. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now you can see why I was thinking of my birthday card. Whatever it is we have to go through right now, We're going to say in the future, as we look back on it, totally worth the wait. Totally worth the struggle. The struggle of fighting Satan. The struggle of serving God instead of our own sinful appetites. The struggle of keeping our minds focused on the prize instead of caving in and chasing after cheap trash which does not last. It's not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, but notice that glory is usually not here yet. The whole creation is waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. See, we are God's children, but you can't really see it too much, can you? If you walk down the street, you cannot identify the Christians by looking at them, can you? No, you can't, and I can't either. We are waiting for that revelation. God can see who they are, and I think the angels can too, but we can't. And creation, as it were, knows that things are going to be healed when God separates the sheep from the goats, as Jesus said in Matthew 25. When God's children are finally revealed to be the millionaires 
that they are. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. God's curse still echoes and reverberates through our world, and nature itself is broken, isn't it? The winds sometimes blow pleasantly through our land and sometimes howl fiercely enough to rip the roofs right off of houses, to pick up enormous amounts of water from the oceans and hurl them on the land, drowning and flooding everything in its path. Wind is beautiful until it gets into tight little circles and it touches down and destroys, leaves behind a path of destruction. Snow can be beautiful, can't it, until it piles up in such enormous piles that avalanches come roaring down mountains, simply wiping out whatever is in their path. Bacteria are supposed to be our friends, our bodies full of them, but sometimes they turn evil. Why is that? Why have bacteria turned against the very people they were designed to support and help? How can, where did viruses get the intelligence to replicate in such a way that they can destroy the host on which they're feeding? How do they know how to mutate? How do they know how to stay one jump ahead of all of our medicines and vaccines? This COVID time has been a time of terrible stress, isn't it? As we are facing an enemy that we cannot see, kind of sounds like the devil himself, doesn't it? which attacks quietly and silently, people are uh, infectious, not knowing it. The disease has already been re become ready to spread before there are any symptoms. And so we now have to look at each other with a with suspicious eye. I wonder if you're a carrier. I wonder if you're a carrier. Are you going to make me sick? And it makes us afraid to be close to each other. What an ordeal. And there's no end in sight. It just keeps grinding on. The people are sick too. The people, in some ways, that's even worse than nature itself being sick. The people are broken. And the events of the past week only confirm we seem to make two steps forward in racial reconciliation and then go three steps backward. Not just one city, not just multiple cities, not just our country, but the world has been convulsed as the scab gets torn off and once again there is a naked wound of racial fear, racial suspicion, racial bitterness, racial angers. Why don't we ever get any better? And St. Paul has the answer, because we're sick, we're broken, and we need the Spirit. Creation longs for the day when it will be liberated from its bondage to decay. All the world and the people in it, we are chained to decay. We're in bondage. And our own muscle power, cleverness, and ingenuity cannot break those chains. We want to be brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. That is the Spirit's gift to unshackle you and me from the death train and to allow us to lift our eyes up and look forward to the end of this life, knowing it's the instantaneous beginning of a new life with Christ. It is the Spirit who tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us from all of our sins.
we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, even we, we too, we Christians, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. Uh, you and I are not farmers. Most of you do not make a living off of agriculture. In fact, 90% of Americans today have jobs not connected with agriculture, probably much more than 90%. So we're a little hazy on words like first fruits. The first fruits is that first armload, the sweet first armload of grain that a Jewish farmer would get as he put his sickle to the ripening crop and he hugs it tightly because this means we're going to eat in the next year. It was very difficult to store food safely back in those days. Hardly any food could be kept over long terms. They didn't have freezing, they didn't have canning uh, of all the different kinds of things we can do to stockpile food. Farmers lived much closer to the edge in those days. And the first fruits were a jubilant time. In fact, God invited them to give that first armful to him as a reminder, where did this come from? And as an expression of confidence in his promise, I'm going to give you more. I will replace this armful and I will give you many, many more. So we have the first fruits of the Spirit. What does that mean? What it means is it's the first installment of what heaven is going to be like, but it's only the first installment. Just like that farmer's armload of grain stalks with ripened heads on the end was not his whole harvest. It was only the beginning of the harvest. The Spirit's work in us is only the beginning. So much more to come, but so much of it now has to be held on to in hope and while we go through our waiting and there is going to be suffering too. And that explains the groaning. That word groan is used three times in this paragraph and it's real. And interestingly enough, it's the Spirit who's doing some of the groaning. Creation has been groaning. We are groaning as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, you're going to, if you're uh, a kind of a bright bulb and you've been paying attention here, you're going to say, no, wait a minute. What do you mean waiting for adoption? We've been adopted, have we not? Didn't you tell me once, Mark, that uh, my baptism was my adoption? And what is this waiting for the redemption? I've been redeemed. What do you mean waiting for the redemption? Well, how true what you just said a minute ago is totally true. What we're waiting for is the revelation of it and the fullness of it. You are indeed God's children, his sons and his daughters. But you're not always leading a very pampered life, are you? You've got hardships. This COVID thing not only has wiped out people's health, not only cut down some people earlier than would have happened without it, but it's been devastating on our economy too. People have lost their jobs. People have made huge investments in businesses but had so little margin they could not ride through this miserable time and they went bankrupt. Even big companies have been pushed over the edge. You know who they are. I don't want to necessarily appear to be gloating over it. I'm, I'm grieving over it. Some of the biggest companies in America have gone bankrupt in the last quarter. But what we are waiting for is the revelation of the fullness when we can not only quietly wear the name tag of God's children, but where our lives, where it's really going to look like it and we will suffer and struggle no longer. That's what we're waiting for. In this hope, 
we were saved. Now that word hope is the key word. Five times the Spirit is revealed to us as the hope giver. In this hope we were saved. Hope that is seen isn't hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we don't yet have, we'll wait for it patiently. And we need the Spirit to keep hope alive because, man, life is a grind, isn't it? Life is a grind. Whether you're waiting for the day when people of different races can be treated with respect, when there no longer will be racial bitterness racial cruelties and disadvantages that have something to do with the way you look or your heritage. Don't you ache and yearn for that? But the Spirit says, hang on because tomorrow is going to be better. There is going to be a heavenly tomorrow when the things you are groaning about are going to be removed forever. We need the Spirit's help to keep hope alive. And it's the Spirit who talks to us through his word and lets us know, hang on, do not give up. Because God knows what you're going through. And God is going to be there for you at just the right time with a new life that will make it all seem worthwhile of what you had to endure to get there. Now for the big finale. Are you ready? Take an extra sip of coffee because here's the big finish. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Do you like admitting that you're weak? I sure don't. I like to conceal my failures. I don't like to talk about them or think about them because it makes me feel stupid. I don't like the times when I've embarrassed myself in public. I don't like the times when I've embarrassed myself in private either. I don't like failing. I don't like being shown up by somebody else for something I know I could have done better. I hate all that stuff, and I don't like admitting that I'm weak, but I am. And I need the Spirit, and you do too. The Spirit, though, helps us in our weakness. One example, just in the way we interact with God. God has given us the privilege of prayer, which is the outrageous promise that God will change his plans because you asked. I can't make it any shorter or simpler than that. But if you think about it, isn't that outrageous? You'd think God has everything all to like totally under control. Every bit of his plan is perfection itself. What's to change? Why would he change his mind? He changes his mind because you asked. But we're too dumb to know when to pray, why to pray, what to pray for, and for what purpose. And half of our prayers are so self-oriented we're not really thinking, Lord, does this align with your strategic plan? We need help from the Spirit, and here's one of the ways he does it. He knows that our relationship with God is flawed and broken too, just because of our own still residual sinfulness. And so what does he do? The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express one of the most outrageous statements in all of Scripture. What do you mean? First of all, who's more articulate than the Holy Spirit? The crafter of the Bible certainly doesn't lack for words. What do you mean groans that words cannot express? What is this? Like he, he can't find the words because he's just moaning? Isn't that peculiar? What this says is the Spirit so identifies with you that your pain is his pain. 
when he talks to the Father on your behalf, which is another outrageous concept. What? The Spirit has time to pray for little old me and talk to the Father? And the Father changes his mind because he was asked by the Spirit on your behalf because you were too confused or dumb to ask for the right thing? Yes, that's exactly what Paul is saying. Isn't that incredible? What an encouragement. What a promise. The Spirit groans because you're groaning. And he wants to not only bring content in the prayer to his Father, but he wants to bring some of the pain and emotion to go with it and the urgency because of your needs. The Spirit groans, but his concepts and ideas get across because he who searches our hearts, this is the Father now, also knows the mind of the Spirit. So these pieces come together in the Father's mind so that your and my needs are recognized by God and he will use the Spirit's intercession to make things happen for you and me, to help us survive this crazy, broken world that is headed for destruction anyway. Why? Because, and here's the grand finale, uh, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Two remarkable concepts there. Celebrating once again the Spirit's praying on your behalf. You have a prayer partner in heaven. Isn't that cool? And he calls you a saint. Not the words we often use on ourselves. You know, all of us, I think, have a lot of negative self-talk because of the frustrations and brokenness and bitterness of our lives all of the disappointments. And we, in spite of our strutting or pretending, we behind the scenes know the truth. We have a lot of harsh words for ourselves. We call ourselves stupid. We call ourselves idiots. We call ourselves losers. We don't like ourselves very much. And we get down on ourselves and get, feel insecure and nurse bitter feelings. We're resentful and jealous. All this stuff's cooking around inside. But the Spirit looks on you and says, hey, sister, hey, brother, you are saints. Saint comes from the Latin word sanctus, which means holy. God's holy ones have a helper in heaven interceding for them, feeling their pain with groans that words cannot express. This will sustain you and me as we struggle with our health difficulties as we somehow limp and stagger our way through a, a COVID pandemic globally. This will help and sustain us as in our broken society, we stagger through examples of pathetic racism and resentment, angers and old wounds and injuries and injustices all cooking in a sour mix that make everybody so cranky. This will sustain us when you have doubts, when you worry about your self-worth, when you're fearful that your sins will make God so disgusted with you he's going to throw you out, when you think nothing is happening for you, just realize the Spirit is talking to the Father on your behalf. Let him speak words of hope. You are a child of God, not an enemy of God, not even an employee of God. You're a child of God. You are loved with an unconditional love. 
You are favored. Resources are coming at you. If you just open your eyes a tiny crack wider you're, and look around you, you're going to see examples of resources that God has sent because through Jesus, he loves you. And you're going to realize that you are on your way to a glory so wonderful, it's going to make all the stuff you're going through right now totally worthwhile. And so maybe as you and I are standing in line to enter the pearly gates, I can just imagine you kind of looking behind you in the line and spotting me with a little smile on your face saying, totally worth it. Amen. This message was a production of St. Marcus Lutheran Church. For similar content, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or our YouTube channel. For more information about how to support our urban gospel ministry in Milwaukee, please visit stmarcus.org.